0: word this day. Guide now, I pray, and uh, give us guidance in this service, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We have seen in Romans that the present state of Israel, even today, as a nation, is that they are separated from God. In fact, uh, Romans makes it abundantly clear that God has, as a nation, rejected his people. And to explain this, Paul in Romans chapter 9 has been laying out for us the details as to why God has rejected the nation of Israel. And basically, it's because they rejected him. He would have happily accepted them. He'll happily save them today. But if they reject him, they will be rejected of him. And so in Romans chapter 9, verse 33, through Romans chapter 10 and verse 11, Paul gives to us the reasons for God's rejection of the nation of Israel. And firstly, we saw last time we were in Romans, in Romans 9, the reasons for Israel's rejection broadly broadly stated in verse 30 through 33 of chapter 9. Now today, we're going to start to consider the detailed reasons for Israel's rejection in Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. And Paul is writing here in Romans chapter 10 about people who are highly religious, people who are very, very uh, dedicated to their faith, if you like. Jewish brothers and sisters of the Apostle Paul. They had a zeal for God, and yet the Apostle Paul says in verse 1 that his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He has a desire for their salvation. They are religious, but they're not saved because the truth is it's possible to be religious and be lost. And that was the case for the nation of Israel. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 4, Paul gives four detailed reasons as to why Israel is not saved. The first reason he gives is because they did not feel a need for salvation. They did not feel a need for salvation. Verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Chapter 10 opens the same way as chapter 9. Remember what he said in chapter 9 in verse 1? He says, "I say the truth in Christ; I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, from my for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concern the flesh, Christ came." who is overall blessed forever amen he has a burden for his people chapter 9 starts with a burden chapter 10 also starts with this burden paul again feels compelled if you like to relate to the nation of israel that his heart was indeed burdened towards their condition he wanted them to understand what he felt regarding his fellow jews he doesn't want them to think that he hates them. He doesn't want them to think that he doesn't love them. That what he's writing is not about uh, an attitude of heart that has a dislike for the people of Israel. He wanted them to understand that the reason he's writing what he's writing is because he has a deep burden for their condition. They needed to know that the problem that they were facing was a problem of their own making. This was not something that Paul had made up. This was not something that Paul was doing because he had an in for Israel. Paul was saying this because he had a love for the people he was burdened for them and they needed to understand that. They were religious as a nation. They had rejected Jesus Christ and hence as a nation they were hopelessly lost. Paul did not write to them as I said because he hated them but because he desired for them to see their need. To see that their deepest need as a nation was Christ. And that burden of heart translated into action. You know, Paul didn't just care for Israel, he did something else. According to verse 1, he prayed for them. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This burden that he has towards his people is not just words, but it results in action on the part of the apostle. Not only is he writing this letter, the Romans, to the Israelites and speaking about them here in chapters 9, 10, and 11, but he also prays for them. You know, here is a great example for you and I as believers because we need to have a burden for the lost. But that burden for the unsaved ought to translate into prayer. We ought to take names of those that we know that don't know the Savior before the throne of grace pleading with the Lord, praying for them, pleading that they would indeed see their need of the Savior, that like the Apostle Paul, we have a burden for the lost that results in our prayer for them. Go with me to uh, uh, First Timothy chapter 2, please. First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. We read in verse 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The reason why we're to pray for all men is because God would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the challenge for you and I as believers, that you and I would pray for all men, you and I would pray for the unsaved, that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. That God would convict their hearts uh, of their sin and righteousness and judgment, and they'd recognize the need of the Savior, and they would be gloriously saved. You and I need to spend time on our knees before the Lord, praying for the lost, and asking God to give us opportunity to share the gospel with them. We need a burden them like the apostle paul had for israel see paul understood that israel couldn't see their need for salvation and they needed their eyes to be opened there was a time when the apostle paul would have agreed with his fellow countrymen with the jews himself about the fact that there was no need to be saved there was a time when paul was indeed a a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He concerned the law. He was faultless. He understood all the things that they now are holding on to for their salvation. He once held on to for his salvation. But graciously, the Apostle Paul had been met by the Lord on the road to Damascus and he recognized himself as a sinner before a holy God, and he'd been gloriously saved. And now the Apostle Paul, because of his condition, because now he has had the blindness removed from his eyes, because his heart has been softened, he now cries out to God for the people of Israel because he wants them to be able to see what he has seen, that they need the Savior. You know, the devout Jews of Paul's day, and indeed the devout Jews of today take offense at the gospel. They believe Gentiles need to be saved, but they don't think the Jew needs to be saved. As far as they're concerned, they are far too religious to be saved. They're the most religious people on the face of the planet, therefore they don't need to be saved. After all, Abraham is their father. He's their uh, great-great-grandfather. He's their ancestor. We're Jews. We don't need to be saved. Israel was happy to receive political salvation. They were looking for a Messiah to come who would deliver them from the Roman oppression, but they were not, ex- not ha- happy to accept a spiritual salvation. And that's why they rejected Christ. Back in chapter 9, verse 32, wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, they stumbled at the stumbling stone, Jesus Christ. They rejected him because he didn't come to deliver them from Roman oppression. They failed to understand what the purpose of the Messiah was. They failed to understand why Christ was coming the first time. They failed to understand that there was no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. They failed to understand that both Jew and Gentile were lost without Christ. And therefore, both Jew and Gentile need to be saved. Chapter 3, please, of Romans. Chapter 3. And verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? He's talking to the Jews. No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they're all under sin. It is written "There's non-righteous. No, not one. Both Jew and Gentile are sinners. Both Jew and Gentile are lost. They also fail to see that salvation only comes to those who believe in God's Son. Salvation only comes to those who accept the Messiah for who He is. To those who accept Jesus Christ, and that comes by grace through faith. Look in chapter three of Romans again, verse twenty this time. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. <coughs> Excuse me. But now is the righteousness of God without the law man is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that that believe, for there is no difference. The righteousness that people require for salvation is found in one place and one place only, and that's in Jesus Christ, is by grace, through faith, in the finished work of Christ on Calvary. And the failure of Israel to understand their need of salvation is what's causing this burden of the apostle. It's why in chapter 9 he wished he could be a curse for Israel's sake. It's why now he is bound before the Lord with a burden because he's concerned for his people. Because they didn't see their need of the Savior. Even today most people that you and I meet have a similar attitude, don't they? They don't think they need to be saved. We probably live in a generation like none other where people are so tolerant that when you share the gospel with them, they're willing to say to you, well, that's your opinion, I'm glad you have your faith, but it's not for me. There used to be a day where people get offended when you share the gospel, but today many people are willing to accept it because of the proliferation of all the opinions that people have. They're tolerant of your position, but they don't understand they have a need of the Savior. And our heart's desire for our friends, our heart's desire for our neighbours, our heart's desire for our workmates should be that they would be saved. This ought to be a, a driving passion in our hearts, folks. We ought to get before the Lord regularly in prayer, praying for those that we work with, praying for those in our family who aren't saved, praying for our neighbours, praying for our friends who don't know the Saviour, that God would indeed burden their hearts To understand they have a need. You need to pray for the lost. Pray the Lord would open their eyes and their understanding. And then pray that God would give you and I opportunity to share the gospel with them. The burden of Paul is an example to you and I as believers. First reason why Israel was not saved because they didn't feel they had a need for the salvation. Secondly, because they were zealous for God. Look in verse 2. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Apostle Paul here recognizes readily that Israel has a zeal for God. The problem is not lack of zeal. The problem for Israel is not lack of dedication to God. The problem here is not a lack of serving God. The problem here is not a lack of their opportunity to get up to the tabernacle, up to the temple, rather, to worship. This is not about that. They have zeal, but that zeal, according to verse 2, is not according to knowledge. They had a zeal for God, but what they didn't have was an understanding of God's righteousness. You see, they had a wrong concept of what God required for salvation. They had a concept of what God thought was righteousness. The law and the keeping of the law was the thing that they focused on. That was where their righteousness rested. That's what they believed was the means of their salvation. What they didn't understand was that their righteousness, the righteousness that they thought they could obtain by keeping the law, was not God's righteousness. It was not the righteousness that God required for salvation. This is where so many religious people, even today, go astray. They have plenty of zeal, plenty of passion, plenty of dedication, but little knowledge of the truth. And Israel's religious zeal was apparent to all. Anyone watching a Jew who was zealous, they could see that zeal. because they had a careful observance of the rituals and the ceremonies of Judaism in fact they had abhorrence for anything any religion any truth contrary to what they believed was the truth which was written in the law written in the torah any divergence from that truth they they rejected and they had a strict observance to the rituals and the laws and the rules of Judaism. And on paper, if you looked at the two, you looked at the Gentiles with their wickedness and their sin and their, their walking in immorality and, and the way they lived, and you looked at Israel and you looked at the way they lived and the keeping of the law and the ceremonies and the rituals and, and all the things they did, on paper, they had righteousness and the Gentiles were unrighteous. And yet, as Paul has already explained in chapter 9, the Gentiles who did not seek for righteousness were getting saved, and the Jews who sought for righteousness were not getting saved. Because with all their ritual, with all their ceremonies, with all the things they went through, they missed the point of God's truth. You know, in the temple, ever since Israel had returned from the Babylonian captivity, one thing was true of the nation of Israel. They'd been cured from idolatry. They do not worship idols anymore. In fact, in the temple and in the local synagogues, even today, the only thing that's worshipped is the true God. The only one that they serve is Jehovah. And the only truth that they teach is the Word of God, the Old Testament. The Jews were and are so zealous... That they've even added some laws to their own, of their own making, to God's law, and they've made those laws equal with God's law. Look in Galatians, please. Galatians chapter one. Galatians chapter one and verse thirteen. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. That beyond measure I persecuted the Church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. The Jews are zealous not only in the Word of God, but in the traditions of their fathers. They've added to the Law. They added things to the Law to, to supposedly make the Law understandable. You know, they're adding things like, you know, that uh, if, a, if a cow falls to the ditch on the Sabbath day, they can take the cow out because she's needed for uh, milk. But if a man falls to the ditch on the Sabbath day, he's got to wait there till the next day because it'd be work to take him out. But you know, it's even amazing how far these changes of the law go, or the additions of the law go, even in the current world of what uh, the Jews called Orthodox Judaism, Jews are doing some strange things. I read this this week, and this was uh, amazing to me. In many of the hotels in Jerusalem on the Sabbath, which is Sundown Friday until Sundown Saturday, they have a thing called the Sabbath elevator. Because for an Orthodox Jew to walk up to an elevator, push the button, or walk into an elevator and push the button, would be to work. And that is not allowed. So all the Sabbath elevator does is for 24 hours, the period of the Sabbath, it slowly goes from floor to floor to floor, and as it gets to each floor, it opens the doors automatically, sits there for a while, closes the doors, goes to the next floor, opens the doors, sits there for a while, closes the door does that for 24 hours up and down, up and down, up and down so that no Jew has to push the button to get the elevator and no Jew has to push the button to which floor he wants to get off at because that would be work for 24 hours the Sabbath elevator does it over and over and over again. In, in a, in a, in a uh, uh, ho- same hotel apparently you can't, the Jew can, doesn't, uh, the doors are all locked. You know, you can't pull a dogs. that's work. All they have is the revolving door, but then the Jew cannot get into the hotel unless somebody else, a Gentile, goes and starts the thing running around, and then they can get in behind the person who has just gone through into the, into the hotel. So they stand outside waiting for holidaymakers and visitors and Gentiles and Arabs and others to go into the hotel, then they can enter because they're not allowed to push the revolving door around. That's how religious the Jews are. They're zealous in their beliefs, and you've got to commend it. You've got to commend them for it. I mean, they have a zeal. In fact, you know, their zeal for their religion would put many Christians to shame. They are zealous for what they do. But that zeal is not based upon knowledge. That zeal is based upon a false understanding of what the word of God is about. A false understanding of the law. And he's going to deal with that in the rest of chapter 4 from verse 4 through verse 11. He's going to deal with their misunderstanding of the law. Because they've not comprehended why the law was given. And they're trying to make it the means of their righteousness. And by keeping these things, by this zealous commitment to the law, they're lost. You know, as believers, we can also be zealous for the Lord. But we must always make sure that our our zeal is based upon the knowledge of the truth. We must be zealous for the right things. We must be zealous for the things that are according to the word of God. We need a a genuine zeal for the Lord. Look in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, please. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. says who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people zealous of good works we to be zealous of good works but that zeal must be based upon knowledge because that's what it says in verse, verse 12 and following it says for the grace of God verse 11 for the grace of God that brings the salvation of the people all men teaching us That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself of peculiar people, zealous of good works. That zeal needs to be based upon knowledge. Because a zeal that's not based upon the knowledge of God's word, a zeal that's not based in truth, can be dangerous. And there's plenty of groups out there that are so-called Christian that are zealous, but it's contrary to truth. And that's the problem with the Jews. They thought doing right was the means of salvation. And they failed to see what God required was faith, not works. One preacher said this, the problem with Israel is that that her improper motives have caused her to have a zeal for keeping the law. But not for being the nation God would have her be. They miss seeing that God's requires righteousness, which they can never achieve or attain by their own effort. Paul says it's possible to be religious and not have righteousness. There's an example of that back in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Someone who's religious but wasn't righteous. Someone who's religious but wasn't saved. Matthew 19, and verse 16. Behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus saith, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, all these things I have I kept from my youth, and my youth up, what lack I yet? Jesus saith unto him, said unto him if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This young man wanted to know how to get to heaven. And when Christ told him what he had to do, he wasn't able to do it because he wasn't willing to by faith accept the Lord. He still felt that doing things was the means to get there. And when the Lord said, well, you need to give up doing and you need to start trusting, he didn't believe. Now, the word righteousness here in Romans chapter 10, where it says, uh, but uh, not according to knowledge, rather. uh, Sorry, righteousness, not according to knowledge. (coughs) Sorry, the word righteousness that we find here in Romans chapter 10, it's mentioned in verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, means a right standing before God. And to get to heaven, we must have a right standing before God. We must have righteousness. No one can get to heaven unless somehow, some way, they've obtained a position of righteousness that's accepted before God. The Lord told the people in Matthew chapter five, verse twenty, unless they have a righteousness that sees the righteousness of the Pharisees, they could not see the kingdom of God. The righteousness of the Pharisees was a righteousness that was keeping the law, a righteousness that was strict adherence to the truth of the law, and they lived by that law day in, day out. And the Lord says that righteousness is not sufficient. You need a righteousness greater than that righteousness to be saved. That righteousness is found only in Jesus Christ. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ that makes the difference. When you and I by faith believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he imputed to us his righteousness because that's the only acceptable righteousness from God. And unless we possess God's righteousness, then we're not going to go to heaven. The wonderful truth is, though, that God is ready to give this righteousness to all who believe. Look in chapter 10 of Romans and verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord, over all, is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They had a zeal without knowledge. They did not understand that the righteousness that they, God required was a righteousness which He would give to them by faith. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a sad thing, isn't it? to say that today, many people make the same mistake. There's many people that you and I meet that think that their good works will get them to heaven, that their religious deeds are sufficient for salvation. You know, they have this idea that when they get to heaven, that God will will weigh their good against their bad, and they trust that their good will outweigh their bad, and they'll make it to heaven. The problem is that their actions are keeping them from being saved. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for the law by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, with well, that knowledge, the law, as we will see next time, the law was given to give knowledge of sin. The law was never given to give them Righteousness. And so while they have zeal, and while many people in our world have zeal, they are living religiously, unfortunately they're lost. We need to pray for Israel, we need to pray for zealous people worldwide, that they'll stop trying and they'll start trusting. And even as believers, you and I must realize that zeal and that knowledge is worth nothing. The zeal based upon knowledge is what God requires. Of us. The Jews were rejected of the Lord because they didn't see their need to be saved. Secondly, because they were zealous, but they didn't have the knowledge of righteousness that they needed. And thirdly, because they were proud and self-righteous. They were proud and self-righteous. Look in verse 3. For they've been ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Israel had a lack of knowledge, but that wasn't their only problem. They also had a moral problem. They, it says here, they have not submitted. Notice what it says in verse 3, For they have been ignorant of God's knowledge, and going about have established their own righteousness, and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They were so proud that they would not acknowledge, they would not accept God's righteousness. They would not accept God's righteousness that the God required of them, was provided for them in Jesus Christ. And because they would not accept the righteousness of God offered by their Messiah, they rejected Christ. And they were rejected of God because they would not accept the Messiah. They would not accept their Savior. They would not accept the means of righteousness. God's not unjust, God's not unfair. God didn't decide to choose the Gentile over the Jew because somehow he, he liked the Gentile better than the Jew. He did it because they chose to accept Christ as the Savior and therefore had imputed to them the righteousness of God where the Jew refused Christ and failed to accept the righteousness that God required. Verse 3 says, For they have been ignorant of God's righteousness, it means they had no knowledge of the righteous. They rejected the knowledge of righteousness. The you did not know the meaning of righteousness from God's point of view. And therefore what they did, because they didn't understand what God required in righteousness, they substituted human effort. They substituted keeping the law for God's way of salvation. They read the law. They memorized the law. They lived the law. But they never internalized the truth of the law about God's righteousness. They never understood that the law was spelling out for them in black and white what God's righteousness looks like. And they never understood Romans 3.23, for all of sinned to come short of the glory of God. They never understood that the law was revealing to them that they had a righteousness that was falling short of that which God required. They didn't see the law for what it was. They were ignorant of God's righteousness. And consequently, because they didn't see the purpose of the law, because they didn't understand why the law was given, they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. That's what verse 3 says. It says, for being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness. And in so doing, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. That's the end of the verse. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You see, their knowledge, as vast as it was, was not complete. Because if their understanding of the law was complete, they would not have stumbled at Christ. If they'd have understood the purpose of the Old Testament, if they'd have understood the purpose of the rituals and the sacrifices and the ceremonies and the law of God, if they'd understood what that was all about, that this was all pointing to Christ, the Messiah, who is coming to die on the cross of Calvary to purchase their redemption, to give to them the righteousness that God required, they'd never rejected Christ. But they rejected him because they didn't understand. They were ignorant of the purpose of the law. They were ignorant of God's righteousness. They tried to win God's favor by their own works. If anyone tries to earn righteousness, then what you end up with is a counterfeit righteousness. Even as believers, any attempt on our behalf in our own strength to obtain righteousness, our own righteousness, is to rebel against God. You see, you and I are declared righteous by the Lord at salvation, and you and I are to live righteously day by day, but that does not come in our own strength. The righteousness that you and I live by day by day is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been given a new nature. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And through the submission to the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit day by day, being strengthened by the Word of God day by day, then that righteousness that's in us works its way out of us and we live righteously. But even if you and I as believers seek to live by a set of do's and don'ts, we end up in legalism, not liberty in Christ. And there's plenty of believers today who are subjected to legalism, to live by a set of rules of do's and don'ts. And if you do these things, then you are godly. If you don't do these things, you're not godly. In fact, in many cases, if you do these things, you're saved. And if you don't do these things, you're not saved. But salvation is not found in these things. It's found in Christ. And sanctification is not found in these things. It's found in our relationship to Christ. It's as you and I walk in the Spirit, then we will not fulfill the lust of flesh. That's when you and I are in right relationship to God, walking in His Spirit, then you and I are producing godliness that brings glory to Him. It's when then that you and I are walking in righteousness, not when we keep a list of do's and don'ts, but when we're walking in the Spirit. Now, when you and I walk in the Spirit, we will reflect the Word of God in our life, and people will be able to see by our works our salvation. That's James. Show me your faith without works, I show my faith by my works. But the works that we do must always be out of a heart that's submitted to the Lord, otherwise they're legalism. And as equally as the Jews got themselves into the mess they got themselves into because they were ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, and not submitting themselves unto the righteousness of God, you and I as believers can have the same problem when we're not careful. We need a righteousness that comes from here because of a relationship with the Lord. Now there is an ignorance that comes from lack of opportunity. But you know, Israel's problem was not that they had lack of opportunity. Israel's problem was stemmed from a willful stubborn resistance to the truth. They would not submit. They were proud. They were proud of their good works. That was the apostle Paul, he went around uh, in his good works, he was proud of them. He declares that in his testimony of his salvation, he tells us that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was a Pharisee, touched the law, he was perfect. Before he was saved, he was proud about His works and self righteousness and his religious walk. And the Jews would not admit their sins and trust the Savior. They had an inaccurate and all encompassing legalistic religion. It's not unlike what we see in established and apostate religions today. There are rituals and rules. There's beads and confession boxes, the catechisms, and the degrees of councils from throughout the church history. Even today, in Western culture, people are going about seeking to establish their own righteousness, but have not submitted themselves to the rights of God. And like Israel, they're lost. Israel is too stubborn to listen to the truth, even though they've heard it. And many today will go to hell, Because they are too stubborn to listen to the truth. Like Israel, because they have rejected God's righteousness, they will spend eternity separated from God. A man handing out tracts one day gave one to a lady. This lady said to him, you must not know who I am. To which he answered, madam, there is a day coming when it will make no difference who you are. And the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and his work on Calvary. There is no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me, Christ said in John 14:6. And one day it will make no difference who you are. In the day of judgment, the only thing that will matter is your relationship to Jesus Christ. In the day of judgment, it won't matter who you are. It won't matter how wealthy you are, how rich you are, how famous you are. Or whatever, in the day of judgment, all that will matter is did you know the Savior. And even as believers, we need to be careful not to be self-righteous, not to be clothed in His righteousness. And you and I should never come to the place where we think that we can't be taught anything. We need to be teachable. Because daily we need to walk in His Righteousness. Next week we'll look at the fourth reason, and not next week, next time we'll look at the fourth reason why Israel was rejected is because they misunderstood their own law in verse 4 through verse 11. Today, in conclusion, we all need to ask God to give us a burden for Israel and a burden for the lost. We ought to be zealous in our service to the Lord, but that zeal must be based upon knowledge. We must allow God to teach us. Allow God to burden us. Mankind today is ignorant of their need. And as believers, we have a duty before a holy God to give ourselves to the Lord and ask God to give us a burden for the lost. That will send us to our knees to pray for the unsaved. That they might have the eyes of their understanding opened and they might see the Savior. We need to pray, Lord, lead me to some soul today so that we might share the gospel with them so that they might know the Savior, that they might know that salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone before it's eternally too late. I trust God will give us a burden for those who have the need of the saviour let's pray gracious father we thank you for your word this morning would you thank you father god for the book of romans we thank you father god for its um, powerful truths father god with regard to the means of salvation and uh, that father it's found in christ and christ alone Lord, give us a burden for the lost a burden that will send us to our knees a burden that will cause us to pray for those who are not saved to pray that, Lord, you'd give us opportunity to share the gospel with them and to pray for their salvation. Lord, help us to learn from this passage this day. May you receive all the praise and all the glory. Bless our morning too, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.